Well, I wanted to begin this morning by telling you a tale of two neighbors. The first one was my neighbor, Rusty. He lived right next door. He was a teenager at the time. I couldn't have been more than 10 or 11 years old. And um, we got along okay. He had a cousin named Jeff, or he called him Spike. And a lot of times we'd play touch football in his side yard, which was right next to our house. And many times we had pleasant interactions, but sometimes, you know, Rusty had, there were a lot of folks living in his house. The police got called out there pretty regular, and so I think he had a, had, a, had a hard go of it, honestly. So sometimes he was nice to me and to my brother. Other times he wasn't so nice. Well, one night, I remember he was particularly mean, both to me and my brother. He, he kind of wouldn't let us go home. I remember going to the front door of our house and kind of being pulled away. He wasn't, it wasn't super violent, but it was just kind of a power thing. He wanted to show me that he was big and in charge, and I didn't really play with Rusty much after that. Well, a couple doors down, uh, the second neighbor was my friend Chris. So he wasn't my neighbor, but he lived in my neighborhood. And he was also a year or two older than me, and he was a little bit different. A couple stories I remember about Chris. First of all, was he had this fascination with Kung Fu. And uh, so we got out, it must have been a very large VHS video camera, and we, we made a, a Kung Fu movie. And in one of the scenes, we actually took still photos and, and, and it showed me punching him and him kind of flying across the grass on his, on his bottom and hitting a tree. And then, you know, the movie climaxed with me impaling him with a, with a bow staff. So he was a little bit different. Um, the other story I remember about Chris um, that always, always makes me laugh is he, got, he started playing basketball with us on the, the school basketball team. And he ended up buying these shoes that had a very distinct kind of cupped shape. So when he would run up and down the basketball court, it was like it was a horse <laughs> clip-clopping up and down the court. So clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop. Chris gets the rebound, clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop back. And, and what was so funny was Chris kind of made fun of himself about that, that he had these, he called them his clodhoppers. So Chris was unique. He was different um, on the social scale. He probably wasn't at the top. But I'll tell you what, Chris was always always my friend. He was always loyal to me, and I never uh, felt unsafe with Chris. He was my pal. In fact, even though he was different, Chris was more of a neighbor to me than my neighbor. Now, we've all had unlikely friendships pop up in our lives. Can you think of one? These are people that we didn't expect would become our friends. But in the end, because they behaved like a friend, right, over and over again, they were friendly, they were kind, they were caring, they were trustworthy. Because they behaved like a friend, eventually they became one. And isn't that true in your life and my life? Today we're going to talk about the third and final value, reach, in a way that surprises people. We're going to talk about how God is calling us to reach out of our comfort zone and be a neighbor to people who don't even live next door. But first, let's review for a moment. You know, each piece that we've discussed builds upon itself. So first of all, if we'll care well for one another, like the first century church, and allow God to plant us like a tree by streams of water, then it won't be a big step for us to begin being like a neighbor. So you get it? If we're caring well for each other, you know, and we're touching each other's hearts, if we're growing to the potential that God's put in you and me, 
then it's not going to be a big step for us to begin being a neighbor. Turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be studying a familiar story this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the good Samaritan. Beginning in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So these guys were always trying to find a way to trip up Jesus. He was, so there's a guy trying to test Jesus, and he asked him a question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to see how Jesus is going to answer. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. So as he often did, Jesus answers a question with a question, right? He's, he's making them think. He wants to know where they're coming from because they're trying to trap him. You know, Jesus is familiar with this game. You know, I ask you a question and hopefully Jesus says the wrong answer and then I can report to my superiors. You know, sometimes we like for things to be a bit unclear, a bit murky, right, when it comes to right and wrong. Because that way we can kind of find the loophole or the, or, or the workaround. But this is pretty clear. What God expects from you and from me is two things. He wants us to love God, love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people or love your neighbor as yourself. It's very, very clear. But the teacher of the law gets hung up a bit on the love people part. So let's continue on verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Who am I responsible to actually love as myself? Scripture says he wanted to justify himself. And, and you know, let's be honest, though we know that lacking love when it comes to relating to other people, it's never right. We know that. But it's really, really easy to justify. Did you see what they were wearing? Did you see their tattoos? Did you hear what kind of language they were using? Can you believe what they believe? Did you hear what he did to her? Did you hear what she did to him? Who is my neighbor? This is a question we often ask ourselves, isn't it, when we're deciding who we're going to show love to. You and I are often guilty of asking ourselves the same question in order to relieve ourselves of the nagging guilt that comes with not only living a me-first lifestyle, but as this story indicates, an us-first lifestyle. In other words, this is kind of the way that we think if we're honest. God likes you if you're like me. You know what? I'm so confident that God likes you. You know how I can tell? Because you're a lot like me. We believe the same things, we go to the same church, we have the same values. I'm pretty confident that God likes you. And though we would never admit it, you know, our actions speak louder than our words. So look at this expert in the law. He was very skilled at determining what he was obligated to do. He knew the letter of the law. He knew what he was responsible for. But Jesus suspected that he had ignored the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And verse 29 reveals what's in his heart. He believed that he was responsible to care well for only certain people. 
his people, right? Everyone else was outside the scope of what God expected of him. So why are we good to our neighbors or our people? The truth is because they're like us, they are most likely to help us, right? That's why we're good to people. If you're like me, then you're my neighbor. And if you're like me, then it's very likely that you're going to be of service to me. So that's why the teacher of the law here is defensive. You know, he was very happy with his clearly defined boundaries. He was comfortable with his definition of neighbor, people who are like me. You know, I've been a part of churches like this. Maybe you have. We are very warm to those inside our church, to to our church members, somewhat tolerant but suspicious of people that were not part of our church, to the non-religious but generally respectable, we were polite, but we harbored seething hostility toward brazen sinners. You following me? Alcoholics, criminals, homosexuals, Democrats. But this is what it was like to the people inside the church. We were very warm, but to people who were very different from us and for people who were brazen sinners, man, we were just really upset at folks. But Jesus knew that God intended for his kingdom to spread to all nations. And this holier-than-thou attitude displayed by this expert in the law, this upstanding gentleman, needed to be challenged. So first of all, I believe that God today, he wants us to open our eyes, open our eyes to all the people around us that God loves, the people who think different, the people who dress different, the people who talk different, the people maybe from the different side of the tracks. God wants us to open our eyes. And so that's what Jesus is about to do. He's about to open the eyes of this upstanding gentleman who feels like he's got it all together. Continuing on in verse 30, Jesus tells a story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a man is robbed. He's in peril. And firstly, a priest comes by. Maybe he's on his way to the temple to perform services for God. You know, a priest's job was to represent God, to speak on behalf of God, to to instruct people on how to live according to God's way. But this is a situation where someone who represented God chose not to practice what he preached. But the tricky part is, is he could very easily justify it. As a priest, you're not supposed to come into contact with anything dead. So he probably just told himself, this guy's done. If he's not dead, he is dying. And as a representative of God, I shouldn't get involved. Have you ever thought that to yourself? You know, as a representative of God, I probably shouldn't get involved. This is too messy. This This is too dirty. This person is not like me. They're not my neighbor. I'm not responsible. And so the priest just passes on by. 
as a representative of God, I, I can't get involved. And then the Levite passes him by. You know, this was a man who was responsible to work in the temple of God and assist those who came to worship a gracious God who takes pity on sinners like you and me or me and you. That's probably the better way to say it. But he too chooses to pass by. So this Levite, he was a worship leader. And he, he was responsible to take people into the temple of worship and to worship God, a God who has pity on sinners. But he himself, I guess he was fresh out. And then verse 33, the twist in the plot. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. A Samaritan took pity now, these, these folks were from the wrong side of the tracks. If you're a good, upstanding person, you didn't even speak to Samaritans. If you were a rabbi and you went into the home of a Samaritan, not only would you lose your position, you could be executed. So these were not the right folks. They were despised and looked down on. They were not welcome in the homes or places of worship of respectable people. And you know, maybe this is one of the reasons why he actually had pity on the downtrodden. You know, the truth is, we are all downtrodden. We're, are, are, is anybody in here perfect? I didn't think so. I, I should put my hand down, too. You know, we're all downtrodden. We're all sinners. You know what we deserve from God? We deserve judgment. We deserve to remain guilty. And so, sometimes it's tempting for us because, and I'm so glad you made this choice. Hey, you're in church. You're, you're, you're studying the Word of God. You're trying to follow Jesus, and that's wonderful. But it does not change the fact that we don't deserve anything from God. That it's all been provided free of charge to us, but at great expense to Jesus. So the second thing I believe that Jesus would encourage you and I to do today, in addition to opening our eyes, he'd say, set aside our differences. Set aside our differences because we are not all that different. You know, differences come from choices, but as I've learned in, in my few years is that many choices are influenced by circumstance. If you look at the person who's so different from you and you sat down and had a conversation you would come to the conclusion that even though they've made very, very different choices, they've had very different circumstances, underneath, there's not all that many differences. We're all messed up. We all are downtrodden, and we all need grace and forgiveness. So set aside our differences because we're not all that different. The person that you come into contact with that seems so opposite from you, underneath, we all have the same issues and the same needs. So... During his ministry, Jesus not only mixes with all kinds. Can you imagine? Jesus was, he got himself into trouble so many times. Because they said, Jesus, the company you keep, you're going to have a hard time being respectable as a teacher, as a preacher, as a leader. But he mixed with all kinds, and there was coming a time soon when he would lay his life down for all kinds. Both for those who knew they needed help and for those who would condemn him to death. So Jesus' attitude was clearly very, very different. And he's challenging this expert in the law. Verses 34 and 35. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. You know, not only did this Samaritan physically meet his immediate need, he also provided for his recovery. I mean, this is way above and beyond the call of duty, right? I mean, if he'd have just got him to the end, that would have been huge. But he provides for his recovery. And you know, when God adopts us, he's not just looking to provide a temporary fix. His goal is both recovery and empowerment. He wants to redeem us so we can become who he has created to be. And I love that about the God that we serve. When he saves us through Jesus, he's not just saving us from something, but for something. He wants us to become all that he's called us to be for his glory and for our benefit. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So here, Jesus once again, as he does so often, he turns the tables on the self-righteous, the people who feel like they've got it all together, they've got all the answers, and they actually feel qualified to judge Jesus. And he turns the tables on them once again. So he's told this story, and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? So what was the question the expert in the law said? He said, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, huh? Who am I responsible to? I need need these boundary lines clearly drawn so I know what I'm responsible for and what I'm not. And then I can say, you know what? I've done my part, and now I'm done. And isn't that what we want to do, right? We want to clearly define. And, And I get this. I really do. We have limited time, limited money, limited emotional energy. And so when it comes down to it, we all intend to be generous. We intend to cross boundaries. We intend to be good representatives of the Lord. But when it comes down to it, we end up giving our resources, our time, in our finances. We give it to family, and we give it to people that we would consider our people. And so Jesus is challenging that. So he asked this question, who wants to be a neighbor? Who wants to treat people as at least as important as themselves? According to Jesus, a true neighbor is not defined by location, but by action. In other words, a true neighbor behaves like a neighbor. Just like we said, somebody can become your friend who was not your friend just by behaving like your friend enough times, and then they become one. So verse 37, this guy's left in a bad spot. You know, he comes looking for justification for his behavior. Jesus turns the tables, and I mean, what's the answer? Who was the neighbor? It's so obvious. It's so clear. The man is left with no other choice than to state the obvious. So he does. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You know, this is how God often works in my life. He reveals the truth in such a way I'm left with no other conclusion. Has he ever done this to you? You're thinking, God, there's a loophole. God, there's a way around. God, I don't, I don't really have to do what you said And then he makes it so clear and plain and obvious that I just say, you know what, God, you're right. And I need to change. That's how he works in my life. How about you? And so Jesus says in response, he says, go and do likewise. So the third point that Jesus is challenging you and I to think think about today and and to be and to do is to love your neighbor 
as yourself. So how do you do that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You know, God is not asking you to treat your neighbor better than yourself. That's encouraging, right? He's not asking us to, like he did to another teacher of the law. He said, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. All Jesus is saying is he's saying, treat people at least as good as you treat yourself. So the question for you to ask when it comes to being a neighbor is, how would I like to be treated? So when you encounter somebody, maybe somebody you don't even know, maybe somebody who's in a service position, maybe somebody that in traffic that you're frustrated with, how would Jesus have you behave? He'd have you ask the question, how would I like to be treated in this situation? How would I like to be treated? And then act on that. And again, he's not saying treat him better than you necessarily, but at least as valuable as you treat yourself. So what about you? You know, what you will find if you take Jesus' advice is that you'll have the pleasure of surprising people by behaving like a neighbor. Because you know what? Whatever you do, if it's, not, if it's expected, it's not surprising. So if we are like the expert in the law and we just stay in our, our little bubble and we care for our people, the people that are like us, it's not very surprising, is it? People, everybody does that. Does that. Everybody does that. Everybody takes care of their own. So it's not surprising. But if you take care of somebody who doesn't even live next door, somebody who doesn't talk like you, doesn't live like you, doesn't think like you, doesn't value what you value, what's going to happen? Wow. Wow. And when you surprise somebody, you can open their eyes. This is where it gets real practical. When you surprise somebody, you can open their eyes, maybe for the first time, to a God who loves them and who sent his son to the cross to die for them. I can't believe a stranger treated me as important as themselves. I can't believe someone who wasn't obligated to treat me well treated me well. I can't believe a Christian treated me with respect. Isn't that sad? But that's true. There are people that we have attitudes toward that would be shocked if a Christian actually treated him with respect. I can't believe a church treated me like family. Isn't that our heart as a church body? That we can surprise people like that and they'll say, I can't believe the church treated me like family. Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. huh? And this is what happens when we are willing to cross boundaries and follow the example of Jesus and as he's portrayed in this story. What if we had a community with a sizable amount of neighbors? People who will look out for and take care of neighbors who don't even live next door. You know, what starts out as surprising, what God can do is he can turn it into an uprising. As a growing number of individuals choose to be neighborly, this will gradually raise the standard in a community. Unneighborly folks will begin to feel some positive peer pressure, as did the self-righteous rule keeper in this story. He had it all figured out, didn't he? I'm only responsible for this little piece of the pie, God. I'm only responsible to people who are like me. And so every day he would go out and he would do his thing and he'd say, God, I've done my part and now I'm done. And these other folks, God help them, because I ain't going to. But what if we could change our community by taking steps 
and raising the standard. I mean, what if it just became normal? And, and we're not talking about even 50%. What if 10% of Monroe, 5%, 3% had, was neighbors, people who take initiative, people who take chances, people who reach out and care for people who are nothing like them? I tell you what, it could start a revolution. And then people might start wondering, look at these Christians. Look at how they're behaving. They're behaving like neighbors. They've taken it way beyond good intentions. Because sadly, and I wish it was, good intentions aren't good enough. But when we behave like neighbors, it can really begin to change things. And God can use that to introduce people to himself in a new way. Because a lot of people just think that God's kind of irrelevant. Oh, that you believe in God, that's fine. You know, that's fine for you. I, I don't need that. But if it affects our behavior, then we can begin introducing people and surprising them and opening their eyes. You know, we can live lives inspired by the Savior who came to save us Samaritans. Because that's the truth, isn't it? We're the messed up ones. We're the ones with problems. We're the ones that need help. We are the Samaritans that Jesus saved by paying for our sin with his own blood. By his wounds, we are healed. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I like surprises. I want to surprise people. I love it when I get a chance to shock somebody, to speak to somebody, to do something they're not expecting, and to possibly open their eyes you know, I pray God will allow me to surprise people in order to open eyes to what he can do through me and what he can do through you. So that's it. That's reach. Reach in a way that surprises people. And you know, to kind of wrap up this series, I just wanted to summarize for just a moment. You know, if we will care like the first century church, remember they were, de they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And their devotion provided a context you know, where they could encounter God by interacting with each other. And they were so inspired by God, they were so in awe of God, that they wanted to get involved, that they were unusually generous, and that it brought them the favor of all people, and God added to their number. If we can care like that in a way that really touches people, now, if we can grow and become, like Scripture says, like trees planted by streams of water, if we can choose our companions well, choose companions that also delight in the law of the Lord, then we're positioning ourselves for God to plant us like trees by streams of water. And then we'll be the kind of people that can nourish others. We'll be the kind of people that can be productive over the long term and the people that can prosper wherever we're planted. So if we'll, if we'll care, if we'll grow. And then finally, if we'll reach people, like the Good Samaritan, be willing to cross boundaries, reach out to people who are nothing like us, reach out to people who don't, don't even live next door, then we will be a family who's caring, growing, and reaching people. And we will be a family that we're all proud to be a part of. Pray with me. God, we love you, and we're so thankful for this series and this me these messages that you've brought to us, God, that you've challenged us to be willing, God, to care deeply for each other as the body, to, grow, to be passionate about growing, God, seeking you, choosing companions, and, and becoming all that you've called us to be, God, as you're equipping us to be able to nourish others, God, and to be a light in, in the dark places that you place us, and then, God, also that we'd be willing 
to be a neighbor, God. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like our resources are stretched, when our time is limited, God, that we would take time, that we would make time to treat people with respect, to treat people like they matter, to treat people in the same way that you treated us, God. And like Scripture says, Jesus, you died for us while we were still sinners. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to merit it, and yet you still gave. You still reached out to us. You still included and accepted us because of what you had accomplished on the cross. So God, we just pray that you would use us to be your instruments, but also to be your body in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray.